Hello, this is uh, Tim Wilshire. Today is the 23rd of May 2022. This is uh, an episode number 28 of From the Resort podcast. Uh, today we had a post-budget, uh, I guess, sort of reply from Joseph Moody, the local member here in the Queenstown area. He's also got a very big area, so uh, it was the first time to hear him. Uh, went for just over 45 minutes. I uh, had a few questions there at the end. Um, it's just basically, I guess, the Nationals' response to the Labor budget, uh, where things are struggling, um, talking about, you know, areas where things are being, where the government are overspending, um, and basically just a bit of a report on the economy in general and uh, all of that sort of thing. So it's very, very interesting. Uh, Joseph, uh, um, very sort of, uh, he's, a, he's a good guy. And I think he represents the area quite well. So have a bit of a listen and uh, tell us what you think. You don't know me. I'm Angela Speckman. I'm the chair of the chamber. Uh, welcome this morning. Um, nice of you all to come out on a nice, cold, chilly morning. Nice and early. Thanks to Joseph for getting us up early. Um, yeah. uh, always a good turnout. Um, I really appreciate you coming to support us all. Um, Joseph is here to talk about the budget, and no doubt, like a good politician, he's going to tell us what he would have done differently. Um, so hopefully he'll make some sense of what's been said. But please welcome Joseph Mooney. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I forgot. I totally forgot to give you the rundown. All three doors are fire exits. We're going out the doors, down the stairs, and the muster station is in the car park in the event of an emergency. Uh, toilets are down literally go out the doors left and it's on your right you'll find them down the hallway there sorry Joseph awesome. there you go. Well. Well, thanks so much uh, Angela for uh, that introduction and look thank you all of you for uh, coming out this morning if it was anything like uh, me it's the first time I've seen frost on my window this morning so to uh, scrape that off before uh, getting going but it's um, great to see and, uh, no doubt Paul it'll be good to see the weather getting a bit colder and we'll see a bit of snow in the town and it'll bring uh, more people in which would be awesome and with the first flight coming in today from uh, a direct flight we're coming to the airport. That's a, that's a great um, move for over 300 days, I think, since we've seen that. That's um, can everyone hear me down the back all right? This, yep, perfect, awesome. All right, well, look, um, I'll um, crack into it. Um, uh, a warm welcome on a cold morning, and it's lovely to uh, see all of you here. Um, it's, I want to speak to you about how the Budget 22 um, will um, or could affect you, your business, uh, and your family. And today I'd like to reflect on uh, the Labor government's budget 2022, which we uh, heard last week, and I spent uh, all week in the House um, concentrating on with the uh, National Party um, last week in Parliament. But I'll also be talking about national economic indicators and how our local economy is going. And as uh, many of you are business owners, you already know how sound economic policy affects your business decisions, ultimately uh, your success or otherwise. According to NFAT, uh, small and medium enterprises make up more than 97% of all businesses in uh, New Zealand. They employ more than 630,000 people, or 29% of all New Zealand employees. They also generate 28% 28 of New Zealand gross domestic product. That's an enormous contribution to our economy. It's the government's responsibility to therefore look at the big picture of the economy as a whole, as well as consider businesses like the ones many of you run. Uh, when it makes decisions about how it's going to uh, spend your hard-earned taxes. It is their responsibility to ensure that you, uh, the um, hard workers and the real business experts, are uh, given the right uh, work environment uh, to, and the right tools to get the job done. So to start with, I'd like to uh, share, uh, talking about the importance of economic indicators. The main purpose of economic indicators is to give an understanding of the state of the economy. For investors, traders and analysts, Economic indicators provide information that can help them to discover new opportunities and adjust their portfolios. All economic indicators are important as they each capture a different aspect of, the, uh, of a nation's economy. Measuring prices, the external sector and employment all assist in drawing specific conclusions on economic performance. Um, what the question of, uh, leads to, what, is the, what are the most important indicators influencing our economy right now? Economic data can be complex and sometimes contradictory, uh, what matters and what doesn't. And, uh, take me to, uh, if we get this thing working. This side. <laughs> this 
was, it was working before yeah. I tested it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always away. <laughs> Sorry, give it, give it a moment. Um, I'll try the restart. Turn on, turn off. That's what the IT department tells you, doesn't it? What's that? That's what IT department always tells you. Yeah, the IT department. <laughs> All right, there we go. Um, so, so this this leads me to um, uh, Christopher Luxon, the, the National Party leader. He said, uh, you know, a national government will focus relentlessly on results, delivering better outcomes for each dollar spent. Uh, that means bringing back targets and accountability which this government has dispensed with. And that, you know, one example would be the, uh, the health sector, where uh, national government previously had targets that uh, were publicly available and measurable, and, uh, and uh, Labor took them away. We've, we've seen, I would uh, say, a, a real reduction in the delivery of health services as a result. Um, it means investing in groups and constantly questioning whether taxpayers, taxpayers are benefiting. So I'll start this quote and I'll get back to it later. Um, so what happened? Uh, Labor in this budget promised a $6 billion increase in, annu in the annual budget, which already had been the biggest ever in New Zealand's history. But it's actually delivered a budget with $9 billion more annual spending. Uh, so that's going to amount to $38 billion of more spending over the next four years. Uh, the <clears throat> Labor government's already spending $51 billion more than they were in uh, 2017. So a, as, as we speak, it's, that's $127 billion of spending. So that, that additional spending I'm talking about is on top of this uh, $51 billion increase that we've seen since 2017. The government has increased spending by 67% since coming to power in 2017. But I would uh, say we certainly haven't seen a 67% improvement in outcomes of services. Uh, the house price average has gone up over $400,000 uh, in New Zealand since 2017. Uh, rents have gone up uh, $150 per week on average. Uh, there's $5 billion more on uh, education. There's uh, 1,400 more bureaucrats. Uh, however, unfortunately, there's 40% of kids aren't going to school regularly. And of those who do go to school, a third of 15-year-olds uh, struggle to read and write. Uh, with immigration, uh, there has been $150 more spending. Uh, 500, more, 500 more staff have been employed since 2017. However, um, there's actually a th only a third of the visas that were being processed um, back in 2017 are being processed at the current time. So again, it's, it's more spending, more staff, but less outcomes. And certainly I don't know many of you in this room will be experiencing the, uh, the impacts of that. So it's just, the, this is a, a consistent theme that we're seeing um, and, and have seen with this budget. There's, there's more spending, more bureaucrats, uh, less outcomes. So if you look at an economic snapshot um, as of May 2022, we're trying to understand what this budget means for our electorate. One also needs to consider all socioeconomic factors that affect how well we are doing as a society and as a community. The budget and how much the government spends affects almost every aspect of our lives. This includes the likes of housing, education, health, transport, infrastructure, and our climate response. Every dollar that the government spends comes from you, the taxpayer, and we need to make sure that they're spending it wisely because it will cost you in the long run. Annual inflation in New Zealand rose to 6.9% in the year ended in the March 2022 quarter, its highest annual rate in almost 32 years since June 1990. Stats New Zealand said that higher prices for petrol, vegetables and second-hand cars were drivers of higher trade war inflation. Treasury is forecasting inflation is above 5% next year and is expected to stay well above 3% through 2025. Domestic inflation, the drivers coming from higher construction costs, housing rentals and local authority rates. Uh, Labor uh, might want to blame inflation on all on offshore factors uh, and there is certainly that's an aspect. However, Treasury has confirmed that inflation is also being driven by domestic factors. The international inflation rates, uh, it's fair to note that uh, these have been rising, with annual inflation rising to 8.8% within the OECD uh, for the year end of March 2022. Higher prices have been driven by an increase in energy prices, which have also risen by over a third during the year, and higher food prices, which are up 10% globally. 
Um, the government are not, uh, have not content with a record $6 billion per year spending spree this year. It's actually um, gone to labour rated future budgets, which has taken up to $9 billion. So they've taken $2 billion from budget 2023 and brought it forwards. Uh, and zero and uh, 0.4 billion dollars from budget 20, uh, uh, sorry from 2023 2 billion from 2023 has been brought forwards and 0.4 billion from 2024 has been brought forward uh, the treasurer reveals that the government's budget decisions for new operating spending will uh, total a whopping 9.6 billion dollars in the 2022-23 year alone and as i said before 38 billion dollars over the next four years uh, so that's that's more than 9 billion dollars in extra spending every year. Um, at a time when unemployment is very low, uh, Grant Robertson is currently running a deficit of $19 billion. Uh, this is the same finance minister who told us at budget time uh, last year he would only spend $1.8 billion more this year, which has turned into $9 billion. And uh, certainly be watching with um, some interest what he does with the budget next year, um, in the election year. Uh, the finance minister, Grant Robertson, also um, uh, said he'd only be spending $23 billion more over four years than he told us, um, than he told us six months ago. Um, however, since coming to power, government spending has increased by some 67%. The implications are that Kiwis will be paying back $4.9 billion by 2025, uh, just on interest on that debt. So $4.9 billion just in interest, uh, that's twice as much as what uh, the country spends on police. So um, just business uncertainty, uh, it's, it's affected by global uncertainty. Um, however, business uncertainty also increases the risk of local economic paralysis. And uh, I'd certainly suggest the government should be doing more to ease business concerns. New Zealand's labour market remains extremely tight, with the unemployment rate staying at 3.2% in the March 2022 quarter. Uh, there were 94,000 people unemployed in seasonally adjusted terms. And this is, of course, uh, we've got the tightest labour market in New Zealand at the moment that we've had in 40 years of our history. But while employment grew by 0.1% in the quarter due to an increase in full-time employment, the annual inflation rate of 6.9% remains above wage inflation, as measured by the Labour Cost Index, which is 3%, along with the increase in average uh, ordinary time hourly earnings of 4.8%, and average total weekly earnings, including overtime, of 5.7% as measured by the Quarterly Employment Survey. Uh, house price inflation is beginning to ease, with prices in some areas of the country falling from recent peaks. Uh, but some recent home buyers could face difficulty in servicing their debts due to higher mortgage rates and significant increases in living costs. The floating mortgage rate uh, rose to 5.39% in April, while fixed-term mortgage rates range from 4.8% to 6.35% uh, for a new standard mortgage. Uh, and as I said earlier, rents are up uh, on average $150 per week. So New Zealand GDP per capita expanded by 3% in December 2022 quarter. Average GDP growth 5.6% uh, in 2021. So some key points. Um, inflation is here to stay. It's forecast to stay above 3% until 2025 and above 5% next year. So the cost of living crisis, unfortunately, is set to continue. High inflation is forcing the Reserve Bank to lift interest rates higher, faster, which will help take some of the wind out of an overheating economy, but the risk of a hard landing certainly becomes higher with each passing day. Economic growth forecasts have been slashed. Uh, expect to grow at least, at least than 1% in 2024, down from 2.2% expected in December. Uh, unemployment is forecast to climb, to 4.8% by 2025. Interest rates will climb to fight inflation. Uh, Kiwis uh, should expect to pay more on their mortgages. When nationals and government had sought to put New Zealand on a solid track to surplus and debt reduction, and as a result the country's books were in good shape in 2017. Uh, the Labour government has since slowed the economy down with a range of policies. Uh, uncertainty, there's hundreds of working groups, um, union-friendly labour laws, banning oil and gas exploration, and then this year signalling there's no place for gas in New Zealand, which will come at a great cost 
uh, to businesses and consumers. And I'll just note there that um, other countries have been using gas to transition away from coal. Um, unfortunately, we have seen in New Zealand uh, an increase in the use of coal uh, with um, the slowdown on the use of gas here. And you've probably certainly heard about the uh, increased amount of Indonesian coal coming to the country to fire up um, the station up in the Waikato. Uh, public finances have worsened in the last six months. Uh, surpluses were delayed another year to 2025. Uh, there's a $2 billion surplus in 2024. is now a $2.6 billion deficit. Government debt uh, will grow to $173 uh, billion, equivalent to $90,000 per household. Government promised $6 billion in extra spending, as I said, but it's now blown out to $9.5 billion. $6 billion is already the largest increase in New Zealand's history in spending per year. But government has decided to spend even more. Uh, as I said, rating $2 billion from next year's budget and $400 million from the budget after that. This is because the new spending doesn't just include the operating allowance. There's the balance uh, of the COVID fund. Once again, uh, it's been doled out mostly on non-COVID spending. The climate and the climate change spending, which isn't in the allowance. Uh, there's a $3 billion for a separate climate fund and $1 billion for the last minute $350 uh, cost of living payment, which I call, uh, suggest could be called a band-aid, uh, which also somehow doesn't need to be accounted for in the operating allowance. So that uh, $350 cost of living payment, or, or $1 billion of each spending, is a temporary payment that runs out in October. It is complemented by fuel tax cuts and half-price public transport, which has been extended for another two months. The question is what happens after that? Uh, the government is spending an extra $38 billion in the next four years, and then um, it's just offering 2% of that in temporary relief to mitigate the impact of rampant inflation, which has been made worse uh, by the extra spending. And in fact, Treasury warned the government that uh, this $350 cost of living payment would have at least a, uh, a short-term inflationary impact on the economy. Uh, the government is collecting an additional $13 billion in tax uh, but it is intending to add a new job tax, uh, income, income insurance uh, from New Zealanders next year, which uh, will certainly concern many. So this uh, line graph shows net government spending since 2000 across Labor and national governments. Uh, we can see instead of keeping debt uh, low and steady, Labor has increased debt uh, despite inheriting, inheriting a strong and growing economy in 2017. National held debt steady as we returned the government's books to surplus. As the surpluses grew in the coming years, we would have used this to pay off debt. Uh, Labor has broken their own budget responsibility rule to reduce debt below 20% of GDP by 2022. We can see uh, another, another graph. Now the interesting thing is this year it's not just been um, the, the typical budget, but there's also been a climate change budget. Uh, the climate change package is $2.9 billion over four years. This is outside the uh, $6 billion, or in this case $9 billion operating allowance. Significantly the government has this year, when it announced its emission reduction plan, gone against advice on phasing out gas. Uh, that's led to a flurry of warnings and action from the sector. The Commerce Commission said it would be fair for gas pipeline businesses to charge more for their services now because their assets would have a shorter life and less time to recoup investments. Uh, gas businesses warned the transition away from gas had the potential for more than $5 billion in costs to households and consumers and businesses. The gas industry company, which regulates the sector, uh, has also warned the government that there will need to be agreements between large gas users and suppliers about long-term contracts to ensure there was gas over the coming decade. This is needed to keep the electricity system secure and provide gas for households and businesses. Uh, in, a, in an interview with staff, the Climate Change Commission Chair Rod Carr said people need to think carefully before making a call on a new stable gas or uh, gas piping in a housing development. Uh, he said, uh, let's just wait and see, because my understanding is that if you're going to distribute in other, gas, other gases through that pipe network, there may be substantial changes in technology required. So the question is, what does this all mean for uh, Queensland Lakes, Whakatipu Basin and our uh, surrounding towns? Uh, gross domestic product in the Queensland district fell steadily since 2017, from 9.5% down to 11, minor, under negative um, 11.2%. Uh, 
but this was before COVID. In 2019, it was 7.2% and 4% in 2020. According to the March 2022 provisional estimates, however, economic activity grew 9.8% compared to March 2021, largely as a result of comparison with weak 2021 quarters. Uh, GDP growth in Queensland Lakes District measured just um, over $3 billion in the year to March 2021, down 11.2% from a year earlier. Uh, New Zealand's GDP decreased by 1.2% over the same period. Economic growth in Queensland Lakes District averaged 5% per annum over the last 10 years, compared with an average of 2.6 per annum in the national economy. So we've done pretty well for, for um, yeah, a better part of a decade. Uh, growth in Queensland Lakes District reached a high of 11.5% in 2002 and a low of 11, negative 11.2% in 2021. Uh, the Queensland Lakes District accounted for 1% of national GDP in 2021. Uh, the good news um, that we have here is that it's forecasted to be on the rise in provisional estimates uh, to a 9.8%. The highest contributors of GDP in our region um, in 2021 were accommodation at 14.5%, construction at 12.1%, and rental hiring and real estate services at 11.2%. The largest uh, detractor from economic growth in the region over the year was accommodation and food service, which declined by 21.1% and contributed uh, negative 3.5 percentage points to the total growth of 112 uh, Transport, postal and warehousing, uh, 2.9 percentage points, was the next largest attractor. A high concentration of uh, certain industries in the region may also be indicative of that region having a comparative advantage in those industries. This may be due to its natural endowments, location and skills of its labour force or other reasons. According to Infometrics, the industries in which Queensland Lakes District has the largest comparative advantage are accommodation food services, arts and recreation services and building construction. In the provisional March 2022 quarterly report, construction activity remains strong in Queensland Lakes, although resources are shifting from non-residential to residential activities. As we'll see, these are the very same areas that are struggling with workers, as I'm no doubt uh, some in this room can attest to all too well, uh, due to the government's immigration setting failures. But these are areas we should be supporting to maximise that advantage. The number of businesses in an area is also an indicator of the health of the economy. Growth reflects an increased entrepreneurial and economic activity. Productivity describes efficiency of production. And we see that businesses in Queensland Lakes District have decreased steadily, and that was actually before COVID. Uh, productivity growth, um, I'll try to go through those numbers quickly, 2017 is 5.3%, 2018 3.8%, 2019 5.1%, 2020 4.2%, and 0.8% in 2021. Productivity growth too decreased since 2017. Productivity describes the efficiency of production influenced by factors like labour and production units. For example, machinery, technology and land. Uh, 2017 now 0.6.8%, 2018.44%, 2019.66%, 2020.66%, 2021.2%. Uh, business confidence plays a part in economic growth as does productivity. Uh, the rental hiring and bu businesses contributed a very large portion of business growth in 2021. It's a shame though that they haven't had the workers uh, to service those industries as have uh, many other businesses. So the tourism industry. Um, tourism contributed $677 million uh, towards GDP in Queensland Lakes District in 2021. This amounted to 21.4% in the Queensland Lakes District economic output in 2021 down from 27% 10 years ago. Economic output in Queensland Lakes District's tourism industry declined by 53.6% in 2021, surprisingly with the borders closed, uh, compared with a 46.4% uh, decline in New Zealand. So Queensland Lakes did have a bigger impact, which would be unsurprising to um, anyone in this room. Uh, accommodation, hospitality, rental and the snow industry uh, were the biggest uh, losers in that. Um, it is estimated that tourism expenditure in Queensland Lakes grew 7.9% over the year to March 2022, but uh, growth has moderated in the latest quarter as the Omicron outbreak accelerated the demise of the post-COVID domestic tourism surge. And this is reflected in guest nights and at commercial accommodation, 
which was comparable to 2021 in January, but only down in February and March. Um, employment growth is also an important economic and social wellbeing indicator. Employment growth provides new opportunities for the region's population to earn income and contribute to the region's economy. As an economic indicator, positive employment growth can indicate that businesses in the region are confident in their activity and outlook to expand their workforce. The jobs created provide new opportunities for the population to earn an income, contribute to the local economy, and increase the options available for how they live their lives. Employment growth also provides opportunities for the area's population to increase their contact with others and their sense of self-worth or the satisfaction they can give. Employment growth in our region averaged uh, um, 28,000 in the year to March 2021, falling dramatically from 8.8%, uh, sorry, average 28%, um, falling dramatically from 8.8% in 2017 to negative 8.5% in 2021. Self-employed workers also accounted for 22% of the workforce in Queensland Lakes District in 2021, which is a higher rate than the national economy, which is sat at 16%. Certainly, uh, many employers that I'm speaking with um, in the region uh, struggling to fill available employment opportunities and I've been uh, raising in the house um, for glass the tourism minister um, two weeks ago uh, as he, he was very confident about um, the, the reopening of the borders and I, I did ask him and we put a bit of pressure on him with uh, Erica Stanford the immigration spokesperson over what he's doing to lobby for uh, more sensible immigration settings so we can get more staff in the region because something I don't think Labour has quite um, understood yet is that uh, depressing the uh, immigration settings and, and therefore the amount of people we have in our workforce um, doesn't mean we're going to get more people from elsewhere in the country uh, with the biggest workforce shortages in 40 years. And it's, it's a message that's been very, very challenging to get across to them for some reason. But anyway, I haven't, haven't given up on that. Um, uh, you might find that the focus on business continuity plans will become a core focus for many firms. Employee absent, absenteeism, uh, certainly something we've been seeing overseas and has uh, been seeing um, increasingly in New Zealand. Uh, it will feature strongly in how businesses plan for and maintain existing operations in the near future. The annual average unemployment rate in Queensland Lakes District was 2.9% in March 2022, down from 3.0% 12 months earlier. In March 2022, the unemployment rate in Queensland Lakes District was lower than in New Zealand at 3.4%. Over the last 10 years, the unemployment rate in Queensland Lakes District uh, reached a peak of 3.8% in June 2021. So it's, it's interesting to look at the industries that are creating jobs in our region. As many uh, industries are facing extreme hardships and obstacles um, due to current policy settings, uh, construction made the largest contribution to employment growth in Queensland Lakes District between 2020 and 2021, with industry adding 94 jobs. The next uh, largest contributor, which I find, found quite interesting, was in the agriculture, forestry and fishing sector, 93 jobs. Uh, it was followed by healthcare and social assistance, 41 jobs. Uh, the largest uh, group that lost employment was the accommodation food services, which employment declined by 1,500. In many areas, resignations from the healthcare sector had flow-on effects to other areas of the region's workforce. Uh, the lack of healthcare facilities and support services like the availability of midwives can be a barrier to people taking up employment in regions such as ours, which is certainly something I've been very focused on. Um, population growth is an indicator of a region's attractiveness as a place to live and work. A strong regional economy with plentiful job opportunities uh, will help a region retain its population and attract new residents from other regions and abroad. Population growth in Queensland Lakes uh, was 1.9% in 2021, down from 5.8% in 2020. Despite strong population growth, employment of Queensland Lakes residents notched back 0.1%. It was a relatively positive result, uh, as it su suggests the district's post-pandemic employment decline um, is turning around. Growth was led by construction, professional services, health and public administration. Accommodation, food services and arts and recreation services uh, still remain well below uh, even the 2021 level. We need people living here, as we all know, uh, to service the jobs available and keep the schools open um, and you know, all, all of our public services. Uh, health, access to healthcare is a critical decision people make uh, when they decide to migrate to a region. Uh, rural health 
uh, is in a, a real challenge right now, actually. And uh, there's unfortunately nothing in this year, year's budget uh, for the rural health workforce. So it's something I'm trying to uh, bring to the government's attention that they, they with their significant uh, changes to the healthcare sector, uh, they have left out rural health um, completely. And uh, I can say for my region, uh, which, which goes from here to good part of central Otago, all the way to the Catlins, most of Fiordland, and down to not far above Cargill, it's all zone rural, uh, including Queenstown. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. And if I, if I look at the population just of um, Queensland Lakes Central Otago region, it's already bigger than other areas which have base hospitals like Raymouth, like Blenheim, like Tairawhiti and Gisborne. And, and we're a growing region, so certainly I, I, I think we should need to have um, a, a focus on um, our healthcare needs over the next sort of decade. Um, income earned in employment is an important source of household income, well-being and choices that are available. Average earnings in an area are determined by a number of factors, including the industries in the area, the skills required in those industries, and the ability of employers to find appropriately skilled labour. Mean earnings in, in the district were 2.4%, down from 3.7% the year before, and at $57,726 is much lower than New Zealand rate of $65,910. So cost of living is increasing faster than wage growth. That, that's a real challenge. At the same time, the housing affordability and rental affordability indexes are also climbing. This is when it costs more to buy or rent a house than what your income is. Uh, the higher the ratio is, uh, the less affordable it is. Housing, the housing affordability ratio is uh, almost 14%, up from about 9% in 2017. When National came into government in 2008, it was 7.9%, staying relatively stable, rising only 1.2%. Uh, under labour, this is significantly increased, uh, nearly doubling. Rent too is a major component of household spending, affecting the family's well-being in many ways. The average rent in 2022 is $525 a week and it's steadily climbing. It was 21.2% uh, in 2021 and 22.2% in 2022. So there's a major issue um, in some parts of Queenstown that renters are facing. Um, is uh, something I've, I've been trying to uh, get the, the minister's relevant minister's attention on is the accommodation supplement, which some people need, um, and it's not matching rising rental costs in certain areas. So some er some areas of, of our basin um, uh, uh, zoned rural for the purpose of the accommodation rental supplement, supplement which people in other areas can get. Um, you know, for example, Lake Hay, Shoulder Country, they're zoned rural. Um, I think people who live, live in those places probably don't think that it's a rural area, but, <laughs> but anyway. Um, so look, the, the unemployment rate measures the proportion of the workforce that is not unemployment. Achieving a low unemployment rate uh, should be a high priority for regions. Uh, according to the monthly labour market fact sheet produced by MB in May 2022, the New Zealand labour market uh, continues to show signs of increased tightness, as indicated by growth in online job advertisements during March 2022, and a decline in filled jobs. It's certainly a big, big issue in our town. Um, this is also reflected in the latest quarterly survey of business opinion for the March 2022 quarter, which highlighted the intense capacity constraints faced by the New Zealand economy as a whole. The opening of international borders for New Zealand citizens and residents in February 22, 2022 is still to make an impact. Uh, unemployment rose in our region um, uh, but in the provisional March 2022 estimates, unemployment in the district goes back to 2.9% for the year to March 2022, ahead of the district's pre-pandemic low of 1.1%. Uh, yet it's reflective of the extreme labour market, uh, labour market tightness currently emerging. At the same time, the number of job seekers continues to fall in our district, uh, down 19.5% uh, for the year to March 2022. Uh, young people, however, not employment or education is rising. Um, So uh, GDP in the Queensland and Wakatipi Basin measured um, just over well, $2.3 billion in the year to March 2021, down 14% from the year earlier. It was 10.4% uh, in 2017. So there's a negative growth of employment productivity and business use, units um, all round, uh, you can see on these indicators. Uh, the population, however, increased by 1.9%.
so it's a total of um, 6,186 business units uh, recorded in the Queensland Wakatipi Basin in 2021, uh, down 0.5% from a year earlier. Uh, and I've, I've touched on the, the uh, industries and in, um, that are creating the most jobs, the accommodation, food services, uh, construction and the retail trade. Well, a key issue, I think, in our region that's affecting everyone is labour shortages. Uh, most notably uh, tourism, um, agriculture, uh, you, well, you name it, um, retail. It's uh, yeah, certainly, certainly seeing our favourite cafes will uh, been closed for a day or more a week, unfortunately, um, due to labour force shortages. Uh, there's also disruptions in the primary and food and fibre sectors. Uh, there's electricity supply constraints, uh, which I think you know is something we need to solve for our, uh, as our population grows. Uh, there's our roading infrastructure, which is uh, intimately connected to, um, uh, again, population growth needs. And the uh, rural um, health and certainly aged care workforce uh, crisis, which is uh, developing at pace. So, um, government is, is saying the economy is in good shape and the tourists are flooding in. Um, the, they haven't factored that in our region we simply don't have the workers to service these um, tourists safely. Uh, or, or, in fact, we just don't have the workforce we need. Um, some some uh, snow industry businesses are telling me uh, that they fear um, health and safety outcomes for the people in their care on slopes who are providing you now they're providing um, uh, ski um, ski and snowboard and etc for people but they don't have the skilled workers they need to service them. Uh, midwives, nurses, nurses, and aged care workers uh, tell me the working conditions combined with the cost of living crisis uh, mean that they're at breaking point. Um, in the meantime, the government is uh, intent on squeezing uh, every bit of last tax out uh, to fund their increased spending. Uh, this is a government that believes everyone else should tighten their belts, uh, but they're not tightening uh, their belts. Uh, they are just spending while people get squeezed. <coughs> Worse than that, um, they're basically mortgaging our kids' future. So growth forecasts have been slashed and uh, Kiwis are, are going backwards in this uh, current cost of living crisis that I think everyone's experiencing. Uh, Labor's approach is to spend and tax Kiwis. Um, our children and our children's children will be paying back that spend for generations. Uh, National believes we need to get back to focusing on delivery, uh, not just spending money. So the um, budget effectively, it seems to be to um, borrow more, uh, tax more. Um, but I'll just, I'll just touch very briefly. Um, and I'll, I'll say, you know, with education, spending is up $5 billion. Literacy is going backwards. 40% uh, of kids aren't even going to school regularly. Uh, in welfare, despite low unemployment, there are 40,000 more people in jobs to seek a benefit long term uh, under this government. Um, health Labor got rid of accountability and removed targets and waiting lists and specialist treatment times have blown out. In immigration these 500 additional bureaucrats have been hired uh, but waiting times for a visa have got uh, significantly longer. Uh, the critical skill visa is unaffordable and the accredited employment visa is, uh, only comes into July when the ski season is already well underway. There's a squeeze middle watching the cost of everything skyrocket while this government seems to have forgotten about them entirely. If someone's earning over $71,000 per annum, they get nothing in this year's budget. Full-time average wage will hit the top income tax bracket by 2023. Increased workforce relations compliance adds cost to businesses. High fuel prices are driving up costs of doing business by hundreds of dollars a year. And I said rents are up $150 a week as regular regulatory costs of landlords increase. Uh, the workers are missing out on potential for tax cuts. The National believes uh, we need to target the critical drivers of prosperity. Uh, our plan to unleash enterprise targets those drivers. So uh, the first is education and skills. Uh, the second is infrastructure. Third is on technology. Fourth, business environment. And the fifth, our connections with the world. Hard-working families are now making tough choices every week. Um, National will put money back into their pocket with permanent tax relief where it matters. So it will adjust the three bottom income tax thresholds to account for inflation 
as, in, as relief for middle New Zealanders, taking into account the last four years of inflation. It would mean a person on an income uh, of 150000 also 85000 would save uh, $1,043 in tax, while a person earning around $45,000 would get $112 a year. So for an average family, um, they'd be looking at about getting an additional $1,600 uh, a year, uh, from, and that would be permanent. Um, that now, National certainly acknowledges this is not going to solve everything, um, but it's, it's allowing Kiwi families to keep a bit more of their money in their pocket and to spend it uh, where they see best. And it, uh, it would actually be more than the $350 band-aid that the government's just uh, rolled out in a, in a big rush. Um, and would be permanent for these families. So I'd go back to Christopher Luxon's quote, uh, which is on the first slide, which is a national government will be relentlessly focused on results. So it's not big flashy stuff, but it's actually making sure that there's accountability, delivering better outcomes for each dollar spent. That means uh, bringing back targets, bringing back accountability, which this government has dispensed with, uh, will celebrate success, but will also hold ourselves to account when uh, things don't work. Uh, means investing in what works and constantly questioning whether taxpayers are actually benefiting from their spend. For example, um, having 500 more bureaucrats but having a third less uh, visas being processed is, is simply not good enough. Uh, no, there's no focus in this budget on attracting hospitality and food services uh, to <coughs> workers to our region. Uh, there have been no announcements about improving the working conditions for our rural health and aged care workers who are, we are starting to lose to Australia. Um, the that, uh, $350 uh, band-aid payment will run out in two months. Uh, the free public transport is great, but it doesn't really help our region, which is largely rural. Um, the discount of fuel subsidy will end in two months, and this uh, inflationary impact and the cost of living crisis will, uh, is predicted to continue for a, number, a couple of years. So to close off at the start of our talk, I mentioned the enormous and important contribution to the economy of both um, uh, small, large and medium businesses that uh, people like this room make every day. Um, but whether it's small or large, it's a contribution that's relevant in any economic conversation about New Zealand. And therefore it's an absolute must that uh, your voices are heard uh, when it comes to making decisions about what affects you and your businesses. Um, look, I commend the, the hard work and commitment that you make um, every day of the week, and it's uh, been a privilege to share some of these thoughts um, about the, uh, the budget here with you today. And uh, when it comes to questioning ministers about the government's um, spend, um, I'll ask questions that uh, matter, and I'll certainly be interested in your thoughts on, on questions that I should be asking. Uh, we want to know where your hard-earned taxes have been spent and what the outcomes for you and your families are. It's a key part of our democracy and as, as your Member of Parliament, I represent your voice, voice in the House and I certainly uh, take every opportunity I can to ask um, the hard questions and the necessary questions of the Ministers. And I'm, look, I'm not there to play games, I'm there to actually ask genuine questions to uh, find out what they're thinking and to make sure our region's voice is represented um, in Parliament. Uh, what this budget should have been about is about getting our economy moving, um, getting business, um, business owners and employees moving towards prosperity, and, um, and look, I, I, fortunately I don't think uh, there has been a sufficient focus on the key drivers of uh, what our economy needs and actually getting uh, good productive spending um, and getting the outcomes, uh, 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 focus on the, getting the outcomes we need uh, for our region. But look, um, I'm going to finish my conclusions there, I hope I haven't uh, given thrown too many numbers and figures at you, it's quite a, quite a bit of it, but look, I would um, Thank you very much for um, coming again today, and I'll throw it open for questions. Yes, one. Ralph. Uh, Ralph I have a comment, Joe, and that is I have been struck <coughs> and reading the newspapers that everybody wants more. Everybody, but even before this crisis of COVID, we had problems in New Zealand. Nurses were wanting more, the IRD employees, junior doctors, you name it. And some of them are going off to Australia, which we compare ourselves with. A nurse can earn 40% more income in Australia than in New Zealand. So what the heck is wrong? And when I look at the long term, again, I'm not looking at 
the COVID response because that's been very difficult. But I go back to 1960, GDP per capita in New Zealand was number two behind the United States. And you go over the years and we've slept, slipped down, down vis-a-vis -vis the US, Australia, and particularly notable Singapore. And we are now about number 20 in GDP per capita right now. And this has been a slow decline relative to other countries. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about here, frankly, New Zealand can't afford it because we're not sufficiently productive as an overall economy. And I might add that the Queenstown economy, and you've made this quite clear here, this has also been recently, not during COVID, but declining GDP per capita, and therefore wages have been declining relative to the rest of New Zealand. There is something wrong in our Queenstown economy, the model that we have, because we're not sufficiently productive. So productivity, I think, is key. And there was very little in your presentation, Joe, on productivity. I think long term, we've got to get back to producing more, and then we'll have more. Yeah, well, I'll just make a brief comment. Um, I, I, look, I absolutely agree. It's, it's something that uh, successive governments have been focused on, but haven't um, uh, cracked the solution uh, for yet. But it's certainly something I know from talking with um, Christopher Luxon, um, you know, before he, he took up the leadership role. Uh, we've, we've discussed um, at some length as, as New Zealand has a real productivity problem, and it's something that we need to solve. So, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a, a lot of different drivers that go into that. And it's not going to be, um, certainly, it's, you know, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's going to be a challenging one to crack, but it's something we, we really have to do. And that's, that's where we're going to have a relentless focus on the outcomes. Uh, what, what are the outcomes and accountability for those outcomes um, in terms of the, the overall uh, macroeconomic picture for New Zealand? And um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things that I think we could be doing. Um, and I'll, I'll just speak very briefly. And it's something that's one of my portfolios I'm responsible for is uh, the space sector. Uh, which is a, a new sector for New Zealand, but it's already bigger than viticulture. Um, you, know, you know, it's not something relevant particularly to the Queensland Lakes region, um, but this this is something that can actually feed on to uh, giving us better data, um, you know, high high value jobs, and you know, driving that sort of um, a more productive um, uh, conversation in, in the country. But that's a that's a sort of a, a bigger picture for the for the country. But there's there's a lot of different things that we need to be doing. Um, but I'll, I'll take your point. Any other questions? Comments? Criticisms? <laughs> Don't let them off lightly. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's got, to, got to be something. I'll, I'll take. I'll take anything. It's, uh, <laughs> no. Or, or think, okay. things you think I should be uh, advocating for more um, strongly in, in Parliament. So I mean, you know, I, the, the, I can't stress enough that if feedback I get. I take that and I, um, I, I uh, bring that up in my caucus room, um, but also when the opportunity arises, I, um, I, I either write to the relevant ministers or I bring it up in the house if I get an opportunity. So it's the feedback I get um, from you is actually really, really valuable. Um, and if there are issues that, uh, that you have and that you, know, you think the government could do something about, uh, I, you know, I am your voice uh, in Parliament, and so I, I'm very, um, very, very happy to get any feedback from you to uh, take that to the House. So I'll just say that generally, um, don't hesitate to, to um, you know, get in my ear and tell me if there's something I should be doing. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Joe. Uh, oh, there we go. Paul. I just made that build on this comment here on productivity. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that's missed, and this has been missed in successive governments, is a really strong infrastructure program. Yeah. Um, I remember when Paula Benner was Minister for Tourism, and I made the comment we were spending $45 million at the Remarkables, and I said to her, why do I have to take a quarter of a million people over a one-lane bridge? And that bridge has been replaced. Yeah. But it's a two-lane bridge, and there's 7,000 sections now going down the Southern Corridor, and the QLDC can't afford to put the, the trunk infrastructure in there. There's a fundamental problem with the infrastructure that central and local government provides, and there's zero vision. And 
it's not just Labour that's done this, it's, it's hopeless under Labour, but even under National there wasn't, I don't think, the ambition to invest in the infrastructure that will help drive that pro productivity. I think the governments have kind of looked at the private sector and gone, you guys aren't productive enough, sort it out. But they haven't played their role in providing the infrastructure to do that. And, and that's something that I think you could advocate really strongly for a national could. Okay, yeah, no, that's great. I'll, I'll take it back. And I'll also have actually been um, chatting to Simeon Brown, our transport spokesperson, and Chris Bishop, um, our housing spokesperson, on, on just this. And, and they've, they're very focused on the, uh, the interconnectivity, if I put it that way, between uh, housing you know, needs for um, population. Uh, which is growing rapidly, you know, certainly in our area and other parts of the country, and the transport. So you've got to get both right uh, for it to work. And and just so that, I mean, there's just in our region, I mean, you know, electricity constraints. Uh, we already had, we're already having capacity constraints as it, as it is. And uh, so, you know, that's, and, the, and there's the Alpine fault risk is something we'll something focus on as well. Um, uh, we need to, you know, have ourselves well prepared um, to, to provide our needs. That, um, but the, you know, the population growing. This is one of the fastest growing places in, in the country, and I, I do, I do think um, a better job could be done about, you know, like you say, having a, having better vision for the long term infrastructure, which is going to be you know around our climate resilience as well. As well, you know, how how do we how do we you know put ourselves in a good place for our, our transport population growth, um, um, and you know energy generation needs, with uh, you know a, a changing climate. Um, and you know, put ourselves in a good place. So I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that actually, and, and focus on it. So well, it's good feedback. I'll, uh, I'll be adds adds more to my adds more fuel to my fire on that point. Yeah. Anything else? I thought, oh. I thought we were going to get a run on there. <laughs> I'll just uh, thank thank you once again for uh, for coming out this morning. Um, and yes, it's been uh, it's been really good to see you all. And uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Um, thank you, Joseph. Um, I, I know that he does do a good job advocating for our district. Uh, I've seen it myself. He's helped my business out too. So um, thank you. Look, you did throw a lot of data at us. Uh, I was talking to a business owner on Saturday and I said, how's it going? And he said he needed a break and he needed some staff. And I think really that sums up the data that you've just provided for us. Um, we know everybody's <coughs> under the pump, um, so good luck out there. We'll keep fighting the good fight. I do think Queenstown businesses are awfully resilient, um, and it really does make me proud to be part of that community. So thanks for your time, oh, and thanks, thanks for coming time. out. There is some food at the back if you'd like to help yourself. So have some breakfast. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Cheers.